you want to change politics, you have to first change the culture. Pregnancy Help works to advance cultures to embrace life in communities worldwide. As you can imagine, this directly contrasts with abortion's agenda. Today, we're here with Jarrell Godsey, Betty McDowell, and Danielle White from Heartbeat International to discuss how who we vote for in local and national elections impact the pregnancy help movement, and ultimately, the world. I'm Andrea Treden, and you're listening to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. First, you may have seen articles in Teen Vogue or Vox that attack the work of pregnancy centers using phrases such as fake clinics and junk science to push the abortion narrative and confuse potential clients. PregnancyCenterTruth.com combats these lies and provides the truth about pregnancy centers and how they serve women in their communities. Here you will find the facts, debunking the lies with supported scientific studies and statistics. Go to PregnancyCenterTruth.com to learn how to combat the lies and stand for truth. PregnancyCenterTruth.com Now let's get into it. First, thank you so much for being here today. And You're I wanted welcome. To, <laughs> I wanted to give you guys a heads up that we are intentionally recording this podcast the day before the 2020 election. We're doing this because... We know that while the names on a ballot may change, this is an important topic that comes around every two years. From local ballot issues to a new president, we know how one election can change the work of the pregnancy help movement. So we're going to jump in first with how are you all feeling as we get a little closer to tomorrow? (laughs) Well, I'll start off. Um, So this is Betty. And um, and thinking about this, I kind of feel like I'm at times living in a Frank Peretti novel or one of the Left Behind series <laughs> novels, because who would have thought that for 2020, we would be in the midst of a pandemic? We have the racial, the political, the social, religious tensions, and there's a lot of noise out there. And it seems to me that most people tend to think that whoever has the loudest voice is speaking truth. And so it it just at times feels a bit chaotic with all of that stuff going on. Um, And so, yeah, I kind of feel like I'm a, I'm a character in an epic story, Uh, not the main character, but I'm a character in an epic story. (laughs) How about you, Danielle? Yeah, it's interesting. I think if you had asked me two weeks ago, I might have had a little more pessimistic outlook, but I've been watching, we've all been watching the polls change and things shift and it'll just be really fascinating to see see how it turns out i'm certainly not going to um wager (laughs) an outcome at this point but um i'm a lot more hopeful than i was two weeks ago all right and you jarell so for me the adventure has really been one of watching the polarization manifest it's not that it hasn't been around it's just becoming more so There has never been more clear definitions between those that are supporting abortion and those that are working to either reduce or oppose or lessen abortion. And those are the things that that impact the pregnancy help community. I think there are some issues on either side that are specific to the pregnancy help community, but relative to abortion, we in the pregnancy help movement are constantly seeing that is our competition. It's not each other. It's, it's this industry that is built around taking advantage of those who are experiencing doubt and concerns about their pregnancy. 
uh, usually unintended, unexpected. Um, and so watching the parties in particular and the, the candidates in their way fall into a very clear, bright line between those two things has, um, has both made the, made the effort challenging but also obvious. That's interesting because I have started to wonder if um, it's just I'm more in tune with how things have been going or if I'm older now and therefore um, have a different perspective. But it seems much more obvious this year than in years past. Would you say the same? Like, how does this compare with past elections that you guys have experienced? I think not only is it much more obvious, but even uh, Gallup, Gallup did a, a poll talking about the interest that people have in this particular election. And it is as high, if not higher, than it was back in 2008. And there were some interesting things that came out of even the Gallup poll that I thought, okay, this resonates. Um, it said that 69% of voters were more enthusiastic than in prior years, and that's up from 50% from 2016. So they also said that when you have this great interest in the election and you're more enthusiastic about it, that means a much higher turnout for voting. Uh, so that's across the board. It said, which, um, which by the way, has been is being reported that there, like mm -hmm. the number of uh, early voting, and you know, there, and I think over the last certain last eight years, the opportunities and the processes to vote early have expanded. So that's that's a positive. You know, we we want mm -hmm. to, we want to see hopefully an informed electorate going and voting, and so we're seeing, you know, millions and the numbers. Even as we sit here the day before the election, the numbers are. Are huge over as far 70 as, million. Yeah, as far as exactly as those that have already voted mm -hmm. cast their vote. Um, I think some of them might be wanting to change that vote, but nevertheless, uh, <laughs> most of them have already voiced their voiced their opinion on the matter, and it remains to be seen what happens on election day, and then of course what follows. Well, and here's a couple of other interesting stats from their report that says 64% of voters are afraid of what will happen if their candidate loses. And then 77 of voters say stakes are higher this year than in previous elections. I think that goes back to what Jarrell said about really that polarization. So it's not just us. It's all of the United States feeling the tension, the polarization. And so we feel it, too. Well, and of course, being in this movement where this is an issue that is um, to my, from my perspective, being talked about a lot more publicly this year because of that polarization in a way. Um, I'm going to jump over to Danielle because this kind of relates then to we just had a new uh, Supreme Court justice place um, this past week or this last week. So that does come into play with elections. So how do you see it just from your legal perspective, how elections really do impact the courts, um, not only at the national level, but all of the levels uh, down to local. Yeah, it's an interesting point. You know, President Trump has had the opportunity to put three new Supreme Court justices on the bench, and everybody, I think, is much more aware of that than what they are, um, than aware of what's going on in the appellate courts, which is just as, has just as much of an impact mm -hmm. and matters a lot. Um, and the reason it matters is people might not know this, but the Supreme Court doesn't have to take every single appeal that people want to bring to the Supreme Court. They have a very limited um, docket. And so those circuit court 
judges really do have a lot of power because when the Supreme Court doesn't take an appeal, whatever the appellate court held stands. And so we see that a lot, especially in our issue where um, the Supreme Court doesn't take an issue yet. And so whatever those appellate judges ruled is going to be the law for those states. And when President Trump took office, there were nine federal circuits that were controlled by justices who had been appointed by Democrats. And now that number is down to six. There are 12 federal circuits for reference. So it's a much more even judiciary than it was before. And uh, that's as a result of the the last election. So when you start to think about how that plays out after this election, that impact is pretty, pretty intense. So you make a good point. We, we often are looking towards the Supreme Court, but these other court, court appointees, in essence, it's, it's also the bench that becomes the Supreme Court uh, potential. Right. You know, starts with the district, goes to the federal. These are all voices for what we would want are um, hopefully originalists, those that are hewing to the nature of the law, the letter of it, and not just essentially inventing it as, as we've seen some of what are called activist judges do in, over the years. Or in the case, even the last couple of years, we've had single ju- judge somewhere in some lower court has has basically enjoined something for the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. And so there is a real threat on the on the judiciary dynamics that if that's not addressed, so I'm, you know, to hear that it's now more balanced, but it took four years of a very concerted effort to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And President Trump has had the second most number of appellate judges confirmed of any president in history. So um, part of that is a reflection on the Senate kind of holding those seats open and available. Um, And then that same Senate really taking the ball and and running with it. So that's really important. So it, it, as much as we all talk about the presidential election, it goes back to that. The Senate election matters too. So I, w- I wanted to touch on that, that because that's also something to be mindful of. We, we can get very, particularly in election year, I know we're talking about this reality every two years, but every four years is the presidential election. And there's a couple of things that happens in my mind at the when we get the presidential component added to all of this. And one of them is we somehow we all get to pretend that the we're electing a monarch and not a president, right? That there isn't, there are these other controlling entities, which is the Senate and the House, and to a degree, the, the judiciary. Um, and the, those Senate dynamics, we saw this happen, in fact, in 2016. So Trump was elected, and of course, shocked everybody, especially the Republicans in the Senate and the Congress. And then consequently, we had a, we had a lot of activity of some very good pro-life bills, very friendly pr- pregnancy help uh, efforts coming out of the House, which then had to go to the Senate. But because the Senate majority of Republicans was 51, as I recall, and two of those uh, Republican senators were so-called moderates. I'm still not sure what the opposite of a moderate Republican is on the Democrat side, because it's really moderate is their position on abortion. So you had two senators who were who were firmly pro-choice, and consequently, all the good stuff that was coming out of the House uh, passed and ready to go and make make our world better, our world e- not easier, but uh, at least help us uh, rather than than work against us, went to die in the Senate. And it was because control of the Senate had not yet become, even though it was a Republican majority, it was not a pro-life majority. Mm-hmm. And in the in the few instances, we just didn't have enough of the even the rare bird that is a uh, pro-life Democrat uh, to join us in enough to be able to really make hardly any headway in that in those in those two years before the 2018 election. 
Well, and even going back over the years and and watching how different states and cities um, implement rules or push against the pregnancy help movement, that is um, kind of why it is one of those pieces that we need to talk about more than just every presidential election, which is a big year. And the, the of course, when you get the most enthusiasm out. But in those in-between years, that's when a lot of pieces are coming through um, because you're bringing in new mayors, you're bringing in new governors, and they have a lot of impact as well. And they um, will push an agenda just as easily as anybody on the national stage. Um, so that's when it is really good to look and have a better understanding of all um of the people that you are looking to vote for and all the people on the ballot, especially um, not just those national names that you hear about on the news, but the local level that hopefully pregnancy centers have um, a relationship with or an understanding of who they are and what they will stand for. So we saw that happen in New York, New York state where uh, the Republicans and therefore the kind of the pro-life perspective had held a very slim majority, and this is the this is the interesting dynamic is that November the elections occur, and by January, so the so that slim majority went away, and suddenly the 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 basically the abortion party was empowered, and they wasted no time as soon as the as soon as the uh, the newest new I don't know what they call it in New York, but assembly the Senate whatever whatever their their state body was as soon as they assembled they had bills ready to go, and that's why we see and all of us were were kind of appalled at the lighting of the uh, of the yeah, the what was it the building. Empire State Building mm-hmm. you know in celebration of what of essentially. Eliminating protections for women, uh, encouraging more abortions, and, and creating a more uh, challenging environment for pregnancy help centers to operate in that situation, and that was all celebrate happened in a matter of weeks. Mm-hmm. And so, it's you're right, Andrea. The idea that the who we're electing, not just governor, but our our state senators, our state congressmen, these things are very important, and we can get very caught up in uh, personalities and all of that conversation. But there are policies that live behind them, and the parties that that well, I would say control them, but the parties that then certainly influence them can make a big difference. And so we have to pay attention, not just at the top, you know, at the federal level, the president, but all of these races on down. And then you also mentioned the city. And I know, Danielle, you were looking at the Hartford, Connecticut stuff. Here we have a city that was actively working against a pregnancy center. Yeah, that one involved um, some free speech issues. And to my knowledge, has been resolved in the settlement outside of court. But the reality is that it could happen in any locality. And I think a lot of people aren't necessarily as in tuned to the things that are happening at their um, their local city council. Um, so it's it's important to be attuned to everything that's happening on on every level. Yeah, and if you if you think okay, so I mentioned New York, blue state. I mentioned Connecticut, blue state. Mm-hmm. By the way, this happened a few years before in a red state in in Austin, Texas. Of course, Austin's weird. They they like it that way, but they <laughs> they they that's a red state. But you have some dynamics that uh, where you had a, a a very aggressive city council it was basically picking up on some of the things that were going on in these blue states because we had it in Montgomery County in Maryland. We had it in the st- the state of Maryland, which actually defeated it. But then they brought it to a 
county level, and then they brought it to a, a city level. So the city of Baltimore, which ultimately we won, right? That was a that That's was right. a great case yeah. with Alliance Defending Freedom uh, behind all of that, with our friends at uh, Central Tepeyac, who had been accused of some things that they simply didn't do. Uh, that was Montgomery County, and then in Baltimore, you have also again our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom jumping in and helping the uh, Center for Pregnancy Concerns. Uh, which was uh, which was the greater greater Baltimore. They had four or five locations, and again, they went through what seven years of 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 um, being dragged through all of this process by their own city. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that was one of the one of the best things we ever read was the judge in that case basically said seven something like seven years later, one thousand two hundred seventy four pages, and you have yet to prove that anything was at, was wrong at that center. Mm-hmm. And so we win when 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 we get the chance to be in court and actually show what's happened. The the chances that we win are extremely high, mm-hmm. uh, almost a hundred percent, because we're we're not doing what's wrong. But we have these political forces that are aligning against us. Us whenever, and we're stationary targets. The pregnancy help community, you know, you can find us. We advertise where we are. You know where to get us. We're not some hidden pack, super pack, or pack or unsuper pack. I don't know what what we are. We're none of that. We actually tell you who we are and how we help women do uh, do. Be, how we help women to be able to find the very kind of help, life affirming help that we we know that they need and we know that in inside that they really want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Drell, you mentioned the um, the New York instance and uh, just how quickly that all happened. And I think that's a stark reminder of the priorities of the left and the fact that they're not going to let up. So they, they got slapped down in Baltimore and they, they didn't stop. They just took it to California and it wasn't local anymore. Then it was the whole state, which, by the way, was a case that started out as um, Harris versus NIFLA. Um, and who's the Harris in that? Yeah. Yeah, you might know her. She's, I believe, a vice presidential candidate That's right. yeah. <laughs> on a national ticket. Um, and I misspoke earlier. It was NIFLA versus Harris because they had to, NIFLA had to bring the suit to say, you cannot force us to refer for abortions. You cannot force pro-life pregnancy centers to refer for abortions. And the state of California was so determined that they took that all the way to the Supreme Court and had to be smacked down. Um, so it really does reflect the priorities when you see our state legislatures taking mere days to just obliterate all of the protections for pregnant women. And then even when they're being smacked out in one circuit, you know, it's like whack-a-mole. <laughs> they're, they're coming up again. They're coming up again in California. And they lost in NIFLA. But if you think you're get, they're giving up... No, because we know that the that they're still trying in Illinois. So one of the other things that came out of the Nifla uh, v. Becerra adventure is Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, Hawaii mm-hmm. had to be challenged because they tried the same thing as California did, and then when SCOTUS ruled, they were put on the defensive, and they actually had to pony up some money. And one of the one of the silliest things I've ever read was one of their own uh, uh, city councilmen or state whatever was complaining that they had to pay the money to the pregnancy center for dragging them into court. I mean, this is this this is we didn't we didn't pick this battle; they did. Right. The same thing happened in Baltimore. Like, oh, it's so so sad that we have to pay this money that you, that they they're the ones that started it. Like, we were just minding our own business, trying to help women. We're not asking to be in this. We didn't ask for these kind of fights, but they're insisting on it. 
there's a pretty easy way to save money on uh, legal fees, and that is to not enact unconstitutional measures. Oh, come on. <laughs> well, that's the Such interesting wisdom. thing that I find fascinating is NIFLA versus Becerra was in favor of pregnancy centers from California. And yet that's what Connecticut is now taking and trying to mold into this way that they can actually implement it within their city as well. So it is quite fascinating uh, to see how aggressive and persistent they are using the courts Mm -hmm. and then how they are trying to manipulate all aspects of the government, which is there for everybody to use, executive, legislative, <laughs> judicial, but how they, how the approach is, the strategy. And, um, and the left is still trying to take the Nifla versus Becerra case and grasp a victory from the jaws of defeat in North, North Dakota, where they're challenging a law that requires doctors, abortionists, to tell women that their abortions may be reversible. Their chemical abortions may be reversed. And so they're trying to twist the Nifla versus Becerra case. I mean, they're not going to give up. Um, and that, you know, that's where we, we need to step back because I know most of the people in the pregnancy help movement in particular are not, they're not political animals. Now, there are a few. And actually, you could read one on our Pregnancy Help News uh, if you read the commentary, um, who we won't, won't, will remain named Kirk. Um, <laughs> But there are a few political animals who are paying attention and very interested in what's going on. You know, of course, I'm using the term animals there in a fun way. But uh, they're very interested. They're paying attention. But most of us are not really dialed in at that level to really watch what's happening. We we recognize that politics is something that we have to get into. But, you know, a long time ago, we had a former Heartbeat uh, staffer that, that shared this quote with me. And it just stuck with me. And it's I guess that's good because it's been around for about 2,500 years. But it's basically... Uh, Pericles, who was a a Greek uh, politician, and he said, you may not be interested in politics, but politics is interested in you. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly the dynamic we need to be mindful of in any of these situations. And Danielle, you mentioned a good... The, the understanding that this can happen at any level, at any time, and because the other side is very committed to making sure that they do everything, everything they can to box out competitors for big abortion. Mm-hmm. And we're making a difference. I think that's more a threat because we're, we're making such a difference in saving lives. I think uh, we've always known that the pregnancy help community, the pregnancy help organizations were essential. I think when COVID hit, it made it even more obvious mm-hmm. um, how essential we are. And so we know we're making a dent that makes us a threat. Hence the Frank Peretti novel thing um, <laughs> that I mentioned because that's what it feels like. So it's a battle. It really is. And it's something that the encouraging side is we, with all these battles that we have in California, Connecticut and Vermont and all those places. We also have other states like Georgia and Louisiana and others that are fighting for life and fighting for the protections of pregnancy help organizations. So that yeah, is. And, and more than that, they've actually shifted some of their own own state budget. They recognize mm-hmm. I, I, I will never forget talking to. Um, Briefly, I only had a chance to briefly talk to uh, Governor Jeb Bush of Florida at the time, and he had within his in his own d- discretionary budget what became Florida Pregnancy Care Network, and it was actually funding that's directed from the state of Florida 
to the good work of pregnancy health centers across the state. Uh, and, and he said this. He said, well, of course, Jarrell, we're in, we're, Florida's interested in its smallest citizens. Mm-hmm. And it was so refreshing mm-hmm. to hear that from a politician because that's exactly the framework. We've become so used to politics as shouldn't, shouldn't be messing with anything that we're doing because, you know, they just shouldn't be in. What, but actually, no, they can and they should be, but on a very positive side. So knowing this and knowing that we do have um, those bold people in our movement that do uh, reach out and get involved, but also that we do have the more passive and service-minded people who um, definitely would just want to serve, and that's, that's their mission is to serve. How should pregnancy help organizations equip themselves in these cases, um, be it working, uh, say, an election ends with a hostile um, outcome or a friendly? Like, what can pregnancy help organizations do? One thing that comes to mind, just a reminder for people, is that no matter what outcome of an election, the next day, the phones will still be ringing at option line. The the people will be at your doors, probably, um, at your center, unless it's by appointment only right now because of the situation. But people will be calling and texting and chatting, looking for help. It doesn't change. The, The needs that exist will still be there. Women who are hurting, women who are needing resources, women who need pregnancy tests, who need hope, who need someone to hear them, they'll be there. So that that doesn't change. Um, I think that there's opportunity here for pregnancy help directors, executive directors, CEOs, to continue to put that positive message out about what they do. I think there's there's always going to be an opportunity again if if the decisions on who comes into office if it feels frightening or you're a little concerned there's always message of that internal message for your team to build them up be, and remind them that the work continues the mission continues that doesn't change um, I think there's opportunity for your donors to speak to them in fact uh, I think was Cindy Boston was telling us back in 2008 and after the elections that. Uh, Someone or people came into the pregnancy center and just laid down checks because they, you know, didn't like the outcome of the, of the election. They wanted to support what the, what the center was doing. And so there's, there's opportunity for that positive message. And I think about the Charlotte Lozier Institute study that just came out. Plus, we have some great resources, which we'll share later in the podcast, uh, that really help to focus in and share the positive work that we're doing. And so I don't think we have to fight necessarily, but just keep doing what we're doing and keep saying it and putting it out there in such a positive way. And the stories, we've got great stories from women who have been helped by us and and we can champion those stories and champion those women. So I think of when we go to DC for our babies go to Congress events and we take our moms and the centers, no matter what state they're from, when they join us, Sometimes it is very hostile um, rooms that we are setting appointments with, and sometimes it's very friendly. And no matter what, we are sharing the stories and we are just communicating the impact of this woman's life, what she was going through at that moment, how the pregnancy center helped her, and then where she is now. And it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat, liberal, conservative. It really doesn't matter because the fact of the matter remains no matter what, this pregnancy help organization was there for her when nobody else was. 
And, and that's the power of a local community grassroots effort. That, that's like that's the thing that should always be celebrated, even though some of them can't quite find themselves to do that. They stand they'll sit there and, you know, kind of sternly and, you know, write things on their notepad and not really engage. But the, the testimony that we rep- that we get to see at, mm-hmm. at Babies Go to Congress is a test is the testimony of what happens in every pregnancy center everywhere all the time is that is that it's a local community effort that's that's rising up to reach out to bless those in its community uh, and it's it's the it's the very essence of what should be happening in across the country and is happening twenty eight hundred times right uh, in every in locations all over the U S that celebrate the power of a local community meeting the needs of its own, which in some ways is kind of contrary to what some people would believe our government should be all about. Uh, but until the government shows up and starts helping out, which in some cases we, they are, we talked about that a little bit, but this is, the, this is really the beauty of a, of a local community effort. And I would add to what Betty said by saying it's one that's empowered by the, by the gospel. It's mm-hmm. empowered by the gospel of life by the same Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit, by the way, has been around a, a little longer than the elections that we face and will be around a lot longer than, than once these are finished. And this is what empowers the work of local pregnancy help, the gospel and, and people that respond to that call. And, and that's really what we need, apart from good policies, which we want. Uh, we can still operate as long as we're allowed to. Uh, and then, frankly, once even when we're not allowed to, we might find ways to do this because that's what the gospel does in other countries on other subject matters. Yeah, we uh, talked a lot about uh, the other side and just how tenacious they are and how determined they are. But we are, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they may not be giving up, but they would be foolish to think that we are because I've interacted with enough people in this movement to know that we're not giving up. We're not shutting up, and we serve a God who is on our side. And lives depend on it. That's you know that there's there's something just beyond special when you can you can hold in your in your hands or see for for the first time that baby that you know, if not for the heroic efforts of people that stepped into that life, frankly, of more likely more than likely a complete stranger. And did what they did, either just just the care and compassion they showed or the practical helps or the medical uh, services of an ultrasound or all of the above, that that life would not be around if not for those actions. That's the power that will continue regardless of what the politics are. And we have the unique ability to really look at more of a global aspect, too, because we do have joint affiliate partners all over this world. And we see and hear from them as to how their governments are impacting their work as well. So Jarrell, you and I were having a conversation earlier and you um, brought this around to a phrase that I know I've heard you say before, but I hadn't heard it this clearly. But when the U.S. coughs, the world gets a cold or... Something like that. I've, I've heard a few different versions of it. But in essence, we... So if something happens in our politics or our policy or even our culture, uh, it has rip, has has an, a magnified effect across the globe. Um, and so when when it was, it's not a small thing for us that Amy Coney Barrett now sits on the Supreme Court. And if things begin to change, they can have huge impact internationally. Certainly, elections do that. I mean, I've, I've marveled. I, I you know, frankly, the the uh, this. 
this administration, current administration, the Trump administration, has shocked me as to how far they've been willing to take this pro-life commitment. Because you know, presidents that I thought had more personal connection mm-hmm. to this to this value uh, did le- far less. And so, we what we've learned is that the ambassador to the UN or speaking at the UN for all of its challenges, when it is not clear on this issue, the other side gains. And this administration has been has spoken very stern- sternly and strongly into the into the United Nations. Now, frankly, you know that that's a that's a body of people and and leaders that are tend to be aligned against the US no matter what, but certainly are in favor of abortion politics. And so I, I was I, just last week as we were talking about doing this podcast, the uh, this thing called the Geneva Consensus Declaration on Protecting Women's Health and Strength and Family was co-sponsored by the US Brazil, Egypt, Hungary, Indonesia, and Uganda. And it had a bunch of other countries that signed on to it, like 31 altogether that signed on to it. And these are, are countries that are, we, the U.S. is finally standing with some of these traditionally pro-life countries that have uh, tremendous uh, laws and values that try to protect life. So here's the U.S. standing with them and for them. And this is one of the things that that declaration said. There is no international right to abortion, nor any international obligation on the part of states to finance or facilitate abortion, because that's exactly what the, what what other countries would want the UN to declare and to determine. And so when you have these, uh, for instance, our some of our affiliates are in are in countries in Africa or in Asia, where these are developing countries. They don't have a strong economic structure, much less a strong economy. And so when you when the when you have the International Planned Parenthood Federation, for instance, and and friends who are aligned in USAID or in some of these other international organizations with millions or even billions of dollars that that that, that are willing to be leveraged into this poor country. If they will accept some of these uh, rights to abortion or health care as a right to abortion, and that's what the UN has been trying to do. And if they if they were successful, then they would be able to declare it a right, and therefore you no one could ever push against it. And that's that would be the travesty that that suddenly a uh, a bunch of other countries are able to dictate either to our country or to any country what laws they ought to have, particularly ones that that we would equate to things like slavery and 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 human trafficking. Like these things are no-brainers. They they should never be allowed or accepted under any conditions. Neither should abortion. Very well said. <laughs> so we've talked about the local aspects and then the national aspects, and then going global, and how each one of these is just another piece in the puzzle to really uh, advance our culture for life and have an impact. So some of it, of course, uh, again, today, we intentionally did this to not know the answer because we don't know when we will know um, our national election results and how it will impact. But there's always something that we can look forward to. So I want to end with a word of encouragement from each of you for our pregnancy help movement. So what words can you offer? Well, I'd say this. If if it's bad news for for you, it's bad news for us, whether that's on a local level or a federal level. um, I would say, hey, check your view of God because our God is not small. And he holds the future. He already knows it. He actually knows who's going to win every election before it happens. Um, He holds the resources. Uh, He makes the provision. He is not surprised. 
Um, and our mission doesn't change. So I, I'd say let's, let's look to him because I don't want my heart to fear. I don't want my heart to hate. Um, I don't want to despair. So my eyes and my heart are focused on him no matter what. And so should yours. Yeah, I think that that uh, message of fighting despair is really important and recognizing that God makes a way where we might not have anticipated. I think back to when uh, Barack Obama was elected and um, just kind of how hopeless that felt for a minute. But then you look to the state level and all of the wonderful things that were Mm -hmm. going on. Um, even just, you know, my world is kind of the legal world, all of the, the state laws that were passed that were just fantastic. And we, we might not have thought about that if we didn't have those national doors closed. So there's just all kinds of incredible ways that God can work. And the reality is that the pregnancy help movement is saving lives every single day, regardless of who sits in the White House, regardless of who holds the Senate, you can still reach a woman in your center and change her life. And when you answer that, Jarrell, I, I want you to add in the perspective, say we win everything. I mean, let's go to the extreme positive. How then should we be responding as well? Well, since our role is not so much political, although we should be involved in the politics, we, we, need, we need other champions to rise up. And this is where we should be ready to support champions that rise up in these situations, whether it's a, uh, a new mayor, for instance, that, that has a pro-life conviction. I was just in a city uh, in uh, Missouri where uh, the, the mayor actually was the MC of the event. And it's like, <laughs> where does that happen? That's great. You know, we wish we saw more of that. And I know that there are, there are, there are lots of pro-life politicians that are out there. We tend to focus on just a few at the top of the ticket or who are f- very federal or who get very, a lot of uh, high attention. But, it's this idea that we need to be able to help our political friends walk out their political convictions. And so we need to do what we can to work with them and to involve them and engage them and say, hey, don't forget about us because they're going to go off and, and work on good, hopefully good amendments to other bills and form consent and all kinds of things that they can and should do. But they need to be mindful of the pregnancy help world that while all those things are good and we need to have them happen, hey, don't forget that there are pregnancy help folks working every single day, like you said, to get that they're they're helping people change their minds every single day. And so that to me is part of the also part of it is when we see the political players change, we need to be ready to adapt. Hopefully we adapt in the good way. Uh, mm-hmm. If it goes the other direction, it's like the good news is there's good news, right? The I read the back of the book and ultimately we win. <laughs> now the... Other parts of the book aren't always as encouraging as that, but we don't want to focus on that. Whatever happens, and I appreciate, Betty, you said that God does not change, but God will allow us to find our footing in whatever new situation we're in. And if that's if that's running further up the mountain, hallelujah. If that takes us into the valley where we have to do things a lot differently, well, we're going to figure that out. But it's always being mindful of what is our mission. Sometimes our methods will need to go through transition. I think this is the real power of the gospel as it relates to churches. And I take the example of the churches because churches look different wherever you are. Maybe the services are exactly the same, but the building looks different. The people look different. Um, There's all kinds of things that are different wherever you find Christians. But there's that same commonality of purpose and of mission. And we may need to do things differently going forward. I can guarantee we'll have to, by the way, because there's a whole other podcast about how the uh, abortion industry is changing 
partly because of the pregnancy help movement, and we need to figure out how do we change to meet that. Uh, and so whatever the new footing is for us out of the politics that arises, you know, God, God will be with us. God will walk. He'll go before us, and he'll give us a way to work through it. Very good. Thank you each for your time today. It's been very helpful. I know that our pregnancy centers all over are really going to uh, be encouraged, but also we're going to be including some resources below. Um, so feel free to grab those because those are going to help you um, communicate with your local leaders and others through like community impact reports and the CLI report that you referenced earlier, Betty, so that we can equip you as well in your day-to-day -day work. A good reminder to Jarrell that you um, kind of reminded me of is the fact that we have been very adaptable over the years to whatever has been thrown at us. And it is through the grace of God that we are able to continue that because God does not equip the, no, he does not call the equipped. He equips the call. <laughs> Good job, Andrea. He does, yeah. He does. And we have seen that over and over again. And so that is what is very encouraging as well for me. So I want to thank Christine, our producer, for doing a fantastic job hosting the four of us. Um, little chatty Cathy's in the room. And also thank our sponsor, PregnancyCenterTruth.com, for continuing to share the truth about pregnancy centers. So again, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today on the Pregnancy Help Podcast. This is such an important issue, and I'm glad we were able to take some time to focus on it. So have a good day and be blessed.